Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who've been called by God to live the lives we were created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, we say it differently now. We live, we love, we serve. Amen, family. It is Resurrection Sunday. And so today I want to look at not the resurrection event, but what is considered the post-resurrection event or one of the events. This is recorded in John's Gospel is the third post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Uh, found in the gospel according to John, the 21st chapter, John 21. And I want to lift up verses 15 through 17. John 21, 15 through 17. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And here's how it reads. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, or John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Let's pray. God, we thank you on this glorious day, a day of God in which we are called across the Christian community globally to celebrate the transformative and transcendent power of you, O God, your power, O God, to bring life out of death, hope out of hopelessness, peace out of chaos, and joy out of sorrow. God, thank you, because that which we celebrate today is truly that which we can celebrate every day, your power to turn it around, to continue the work through us. And for that, oh God, we are grateful. 
May the words, O oh God, that you declare today and the collective meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our strength. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. And we say thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. Allow me to read that again. John 21, verses 15 through 17, and it reads like this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Amen. This morning, this Resurrection Sunday, I want to speak just for a few moments from the thought, it's not over. It's not over. It's not over. Maybe somebody needed to hear that this morning. It's not over. Three harmless words uttered by Peter Harmless at first glance, but when you contextualize these words, they become glaringly significant because of what they speak to at this moment in Peter's life. Three words. Again, harmless at first glance. Words that really signify what would have seemed like the collapse of Peter's possibilities, the ending of what began as a glorious and beautiful dream, upended by unexpected events. These three words, again, simple and unassuming, suggests that Peter no longer thought himself worthy of being called a disciple, that his monumental, what was seemingly monumental collapse in the courtyard was what derailed Peter's future desire. It happened after 
the second appearance of Jesus, when Jesus appeared in the room with the disciples, the upper room, and he told them to fear not. He reminded them that he was who he said he was. He appears to them in that upper room with the marks of crucifixion still upon him, blood marks in the hand, wounds in the side, the etched out rivulets of blood still clinging to his brow from the crown of thorns. And he appears before them alive, but with the appearance of damage. And there in that moment, the disciples are excited because here is their teacher, their leader, the Messiah, in their presence, risen like he said he would. And although it appeared that Thomas did not necessarily believe him, Thomas had an opportunity to worship Jesus when he appeared again now before the disciples. When Thomas saw him for himself, for he was not with them when they saw him for the first time, they being the disciples. When Thomas saw Jesus for himself and even was extended an invitation to put his fingers, his hands, in the wounds of the Messiah, at that moment, Thomas began to worship. And in that moment, hope was given. The kind of hope that reminds us often, even as I shared last year this time, that you can be resurrected even while you're wounded. And now, after that, Jesus disappears again. The record doesn't say how much time lapsed between Jesus' appearance in the upper room, but however long it was between his last appearance and now what we see in this particular chapter, it was long enough for the disciples, and namely Peter, to feel as though the road he had been walking as a disciple filled with hope, possibility, and most of all, firsthand experience of the power of God. However long time passed, it was enough to make him feel as though there was no point in continuing the mission, no point in continuing the path, and those three words come out of his mouth that signify the level of his personal despair. I'm going fishing. Those were Peter's words. I'm going fishing. Harmless, yes. Important, though, yes. Because what it signified is that Peter who already felt distanced and disconnected from the disciples, had now resolved in his spirit that the only thing left to do post-resurrection, even after he saw Jesus, according to John's gospel, was to go back to doing what he did before he ever met the teacher. And he decides to go fishing. But those feelings of despair and apathy can be infectious because when Peter says, I'm going fishing. The others who were there, and the record says it was seven of them there, Peter, Nathaniel, Thomas, James, and John, and two other disciples. When Peter says, I'm going fishing, the rest says, we'll go with you as well. Can you imagine? Disciples who had seen the impossible and the divine magnified in front of them. 
in the midst of what seemed like the absence of the rabbi, decide they're going back to what was comfortable. Oh, I know this morning that there are more than a few of us who find ourselves retracing old footsteps that have fainted marks of the imprint of our feet because of the dissolving of our aspirations. There's more than a few of us this morning. I know that you have felt that feeling deep within your soul when you've experienced the collapse of hope, all that you have pinned your dreams on. And when that seems to fail, you find yourselves not trying to find out what to do. You go back to doing what you did before you dare to dream. Peter and the others decided to go fishing. But this fishing expedition was a little different. Their eyes were not the same. How can your eyes be the same after having seen what they saw? Their experience had now been expanded. Their worldview had now been opened because they had seen firsthand the power of God moving in their presence. But yet in the midst of their fishing, with all that they had seen, and if you know your Bible, all they had done because Jesus was not selfish with the power, he had shared the power with them. And they, on more than one occasion, were able to do the very thing that Jesus did. And so can you imagine, after having seen and partnered with God, been a co-creator in the magnificent, magnificent manifestation of God in their midst, having to participate, tasted, felt, and seen to go back to doing what you used to do. And they go fishing. And here's what happens when you try to retrace dead footsteps. You end up living with the futility of your broken hope. They toiled all night and caught nothing. Did they really expect success when they were going in reverse? Did they really believe that something would happen fruitful when they became faithless? Did they think somehow that they would get a great catch when he had already told them they wouldn't be catching fish anymore? What did they expect? How can you hear words that you'll be catching people and then be satisfied with catching fish again? They fished all night and caught nothing. The pain of their futility was magnified by the pain of Peter's story. Yes, he was fishing like the others. But he wasn't just fishing for fish. He was searching for himself again. Can you see him? Even there as he was unrobed and in his limited garb in preparation for fishing there, the Sea of Galilee, can you see him? Even while he's casting nets and engaged in conversation with the other disciples, you cannot tell me that in the back of his mind, he couldn't let go of the minimal conversation with the little servant girl who simply said, aren't you one of his disciples? 
I have to believe that in the back of his mind, even while he was fishing, even while he tried to retreat to doing what he did before, he remembered over and over again his undeniable denial. In the futility of their fishing, in the futility of his own discipleship, because he felt he had let Jesus down and had failed the master, he fishes, but he's wounded. He's fishing, but he's searching, trying to find the Peter he knew who had said he would never leave Jesus. Now to be a shell of that braggadocious man, broken at the seaside, and they caught nothing. While they were there wrapping their nets up and putting their nets together, a figure is on the shore of the sea. They don't really recognize the figure. And the figure yells out to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they respond, no. And the figure on the seashore said, cast your net on the right side of the boat. Just imagine their own desperation to get back to what they were doing and also have a fruitful produce from their expedition because they did not know who it was but took the advice of an unknown man to do what they were familiar with already because at least four of them were able-bodied fishermen who had caught nothing. And can you imagine when you know your craft but take the advice from someone you don't know because you're so desperate to get back to where you were and somehow manifest that your efforts would not be fruitless? Cast your nets on the right side. Can you imagine being in the right place but having the wrong mode of operation they were in the right sea but they were on the wrong side you'll get that later that 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 he says to them cast your net on the right side if you put it on the right side i promise you something will happen and sure enough they put their nets on the right side because they had to realize that sometimes even when your nets are empty, you still got to put them back in the water that's fruitful, even though you don't seemingly see the fruitfulness because you're in the right place but doing it on the wrong way. Scripture says this, and I'll hurry. It's resurrection. I know you got things to do. He said, don't say that. He says, put it on the right side. And the Scripture says, I'm going to move quick. The Scripture says when they dropped their nets on the right side that, that the fish began to almost leap. It was as if the fish were looking for a resting place in their nets. And the fish started leaping in the nets. And it was so much that the disciples could not even carry it. They had to drag it. They were about 100 yards from the shore in their vessels. And they were dragging the nets. All the six of them, not Peter, watch this. All six of them, not Peter, six of them were dragging the nets back to the shore. But John sensed something was going on. When he saw the increase, when he saw the multiplication of the fish. John said, wait a minute. And he yells to Peter, I know who that is. He said, it's the teacher on the seashore. When he saw the breakthrough, oh God, he was able to identify the man on the shore, not by his face, but by his power. Oh God, I hope you can catch this today. Oh, can you imagine what would happen in your own life when people don't know you by your name but by your power? When people come to recognize the fullness of your own identity by your power and not your name? When your name becomes synonymous with dunamis? Oh, God, you'll get that later. When you become the embodiment of power and people see you but they don't really see you, they see the power you possess. Oh, my God, Lord, let me be known by the power that is flowing through me as a manifestation of who you are. 
John said, no, it's him. And when he says that, they started dragging feverishly the fish, and Peter couldn't even wait. He jumps out the boat and starts fishing towards the seashore because now he knows who it is. They, they were dragging, now, oh God, I don't have time this morning, but they were dragging full nets. I don't mind laboring when the net is full. Oh God, I, I, I don't mind working when the net is full. But, but it's hard to accept when the nets are empty based on the futility of your efforts. But here they were, working, carrying full nets. And when they get to the shore and they see their teacher still with the marks of crucifixion, he says, have you had breakfast? He says, give me some of the fish that you caught. See, we sometimes miss the point that he asked them for what they did, because if you read the story, he already was cooking fish on the seashore, but he was giving provision, but he wanted them to make the addition. Oh, he'll get that. We are so often waiting to see what God will do in our lives that we don't think we bear any responsibility to participate in our own well-being. He had already provided enough for them to eat, but wanted them to see the fruit of their hands now being prepared for them. And sitting there with full stomachs and full hope again. Sitting there in the presence of their leader. The scripture says that Peter and the disciples were sitting there as Jesus had prepared the fish. And giving them bread, it seems harmless. The word is anthrakion. It means fire. It said that Jesus was there preparing, feeding them, giving them food, and they were gathered around the anthrakion, the coal fire. That word anthrakion only appears two times in the New Testament. And you'll get this in a second. I promise I'll be done. The first time you see Anthrachion is just a few chapters back when Peter was in the courtyard and it said that he was there with the others gathered around the fire. What was a moment of celebration because of the meal became yet again a painful moment for Peter. Gathered around the fire. He had to remember the last time he gathered around the fire. And he denied him. I cannot imagine the weight he felt when you feel as though you let your best friend down. They were happy, but he was broken. Eating, yes, but empty because of his actions. Jesus sensed it. So when they had finished eating and Here's the text. Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John. He doesn't say Simon Peter. It was as if Jesus had to remind him of how strong he was before he met him. Simon, 
son of John. And you know he was strong. When you get a chance, go back and read the story. It says that when they went and draw, brought the fish to the shore, remember it said the six disciples were dragging the fish. When they got close to the shore, Peter grabbed the net and pulled it himself. He did what six men could not do. It was as if Jesus had to remind him of how strong he already was. Because you can still be strong and make mistakes and even be strong and still have faults and even be strong and still have flaws and be strong and still have failures. Your mistakes, your flaws, and your failures do not necessarily signify how strong you are. The strongest of us still have broken and open and exposed moments. And he simply says, do you love me? He says, yes. He said, then feed my lambs. He says it again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. And here it was a third time, Peter, do you love me? And then the text says, when Jesus asked the third time, Peter was hurting. Why? That third question resurrected past pain. Three times he denied Jesus. But Jesus here asks him now three times, do you love me? You know I do. You know everything. He says, good. Feed my sheep. That's really the story. For every denial, he asked him to profess his love. Jesus does not do what some would want to do. He does not come and remind him of his mistake. How many people's lives have been upended because some person who claimed to be holy could not let go of past infraction? How many of us found ourselves being weighed down by the guilt of our own past indiscretions and then to be reminded of those indiscretions by people who asked us if we wanted to pray afterwards? How many of us have felt the weight of persons who claim to love the Lord but were unable with all their love to get past the things we did in the past and move forward and honor the love in them by loving the person they know and knew about their indiscretions? Jesus models something else. Resurrection is not just about whether or not Jesus came from the grave. I know you want to believe that because I know what this day is. We celebrate the resurrecting power of God to raise Jesus from the dead. But what good is it for Jesus to come out of the grave if he cannot come giving hope? Oh, I hope you get this today. If he rises but can give no hope, then he should have stayed in the grave. If he rises and does not inspire a different way of being, stay in the grave. Because if he rises just to show the power that God has worked for him, it becomes meaningless. But in his post-resurrection appearances, he let those who are dejected and downtrodden and broken and in despair remember that there is still hope. It's not enough to say he rose and got up and was resurrected. It is what he does after he's resurrected that has a true power. Not just that he got up, because if he gets up and if he rises, but we're still down, something is wrong. If he's resurrected, but we have no hope, something is wrong. You cannot celebrate resurrection and walk around in despair. You cannot celebrate resurrection and think that all hope is gone. In 
the presence of Jesus, Peter had to be reminded, I know you feel like you failed. I know you feel like you let me down. I know you feel like you made a mistake. But I don't care about that, Peter. What I want to know is, do you love me? Do you love me enough to go and do the work I called you to do at the very beginning of our relationship? Oh, Peter had to be reminded that it's not over. No matter how bad it may seem, it's not over. And why does he know it's not over? Because the resurrected carpenter doesn't simply say, look at how powerful I am. He has to remind all of his disciples, remember how strong you are. Because you must continue this work. You must fight this fight. You must participate in this ministry. Why? Because I may not be with you much longer, but there's still somebody who needs to be fed. and still somebody who needs water. and still somebody who needs clothes. and still somebody who needs to be welcomed. You still have work to do. And as long as you have work to do, you have to know that it's not over. And if you're watching there right now, and you may be thinking to yourself, Pastor, I hear you, but you don't understand my story. No, I don't need to understand your story. I just need to know his glory. That I need to be able to understand that in the presence of God, it's not over. Peter, do you love me? I wish you would just fill in the blank with your own name today. Michael, do you love me? Lakeisha, do you love me? Laverne, do you love me? John, do you love me? Fill in the blanks in those moments when you feel dejected and feel as though all hope is gone and you feel that somehow you've gone backwards when you should have been going forwards, that you missed your opportunity, that you missed your moment for your own personal breakthrough, that you missed the unfolding of your dreams, that you missed the opportunity to move forward. No, tell yourself, fill in the blank. Do you love me? And if you know who he is, and know who you are. Your response will be just like Peter. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. Resurrection is not just about Jesus rising. It's about you and I rising with him. What you thought was dead is still breathing. What you thought was gone is still present. What you thought you missed is coming around the corner. What you thought you lost, you just misplaced. It's not over, beloved. It's not over. It's not over. There will always be moments when you feel as though You failed, you messed up, you've made a mistake, but then all of a sudden, 
God shows up and resurrects the dreams you thought were dead and resurrects the hopes you thought were lost and resurrects the opportunities you thought had passed you by. And then all of a sudden, hear this, Dante, all of a sudden, God does what God needs to do to encourage you, to lift you, to strengthen you. And if you've ever had that experience where God reminded you of your strength, not God showed up to perform, but God showed up to freshen your memory. That's when you can truly say, he did more than I ever expected. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.